Hi, everybody, and welcome to John Hennigan's Old Time Radio Show. So glad you could join us. It's going to be really terrific. we got some really wacky, zany old records for you tonight. Boy, oh boy. It's, it's going to be a swell time. <laughs> Get up now, send me down. Bottom, bottom, the 
big belly bill. Ain't no making for the men Don't be no ego rule. No, no, you can't move. Look out, buddy, don't be no fool. Drive me, baby, like you used to do. Now you driving, jumping, jumping, driving. Get kicked on the metal side. Yep, yep. Nothing but a solid jive. Oh, baby, nothing but a solid jive. I mean, you jive and you jump, jump and jive. I get my kicks on the metal side. Now, bang, bang to the beat.
yes, baby. Trying to find me in your squall. That's all I'll be keeping young. Lord, Lord, will be my father-in-law. <laughs> What do you think of that? Stylus on there too. Oh, well, I see where. Okay, let me set this up. So it's uh, September 29th, uh, 2016. We're on the Old Time Radio Show again with uh, Don Hill and Tony Byers. Uh, so, Don, tell us now. We were just listening to Will Shade and Gus Cannon. And these are your... Laura Dukes. And I'm sorry, wh what was the female? Laura Dukes. Laura Dukes. Uh, that was really great. That pop tune she did was beautiful. And these are recordings you did in Chicago. Uh, where were they? With Dave Van Gurian in Memphis. In Memphis. 1961. 1961. Right after we were kicked out of Mississippi. Wow. Incredible yeah. recordings. And how, how did you come across... You, you knew Will Shade, who set up this session for you, right? Uh, it looks to me, yeah, like Dave knew Will Shade. He had traveled okay. through several months earlier, apparently. He traveled through Memphis when he was taking a canoe trip down the... I, th I don't know where he canoed, down the Snake and down the Missouri, maybe to the Mississippi, and uh, took a canoe trip and ended up in Memphis, I guess, and he located Will Shade and maybe Furry Lewis and, and Gus Cannon, and he didn't record them or document it very well except in some letters that he just recently found. Hmm. And then uh, that's not in that uh, memoir yet. Dave hasn't sent me the letters yet to incorporate those. But uh, uh, then later... When we were going to take Wade Walton up to uh, New York to record, we were arrested in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Right, which is a story you told us on the previous show. Right. And uh, we were white, and we were in the black neighborhood, and that wasn't considered proper right. by the Mississippi white authorities at that time. Right. And uh, so then we had to go to Memphis and hang out for a week or so. And that's when we recorded Will Shade and Laura Dukes and Gus Cannon and some other hangers honors in their tenement. Incredible recordings. Yeah. And we also visited, uh, we went by Gus Cannon's house, I think, and we went to Memphis Minnie and Sun Joe's place. She was still with Sun Joe. She that was, time. yeah, I think it was Sun Joe. I'm not sure, but the two of them were there and, uh, uh, she loaned us some photographs of her that we had copied. You didn't have Xerox in those days. You had to go through a whole process. Yeah, it yeah. took three or four days 
for the thing to get the copies back to us. And she autographed them for us. But she was in bedridden. She'd had a stroke. Okay. And Dave wrote a little piece for the British journal, jazz journal, and uh, saying that we had, quote, discovered, unquote, Memphis Minnie. <laughs> You know, it's like she was lost. <laughs> yeah. She didn't know it, but she's she lost. She didn't know it, yeah. So, yeah but, that whole idea of discovering musicians was a white thing. Yes, of you course. You discover yeah. these black musicians that had been famous at some stage in their life. White right. people discover everything, don't you know that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, that's definitely true. Now, you were... Obviously, or I'm I'm not sure. Were you really aware of like Will Shade and Gus Cannon's twenties recording the Memphis Jug Band and Kansas yes, Jug Stompers? Yes, a little bit, but not a lot. I don't have a whole lot of memory of that. But I yeah, because at that time sure there still would have been hard to access unless you yeah. had the originals. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But I had worked for uh, Bob Kester in Chicago of Delmark Records. Right. And uh, he had some of those records and a lot of others. And um, that was in 1960 that I worked for him. And Dave and I brought him up to Chicago in 1958, I think it was, hmm. uh, from St. Louis, where he was originally established, and he decided to move. So he hitched a ride with us. We were on our way anywhere, and Chicago was as good as anywhere else. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> we went to Chicago. And... Uh, were were you able to talk to either one of those guys about you know their early recording days or early musical career? We didn't career? talk about their early career at all. We weren't. I think we knew of some of their recordings, but we didn't know very much, and we didn't um, talk about their earlier lives much. We just talked about them on the streets and playing. And at that time, is that what they were doing, was playing? I think so, playing for parties and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those recordings are are so great, and it just sounds like them in a natural party environment, more or less. It is. Yeah. And, uh, well, for us, all we did is pay them a little money and get them a little whiskey or whatever that they got. Sure. And... uh, I noticed the tenement that we recorded in is, I don't think it's there anymore. I was in Beale Street in 1996, I think, at a seminar in Oxford, Mississippi, a blue seminar. And we went up to Memphis, and uh, Beale Street did then become a big tourist area. And it changed a lot for the better, actually. But back when we were there, it was somewhat run down and, and uh, uh, Will Shade looked to me like the people that lived in that tenement were not very well off. It looked like it had had outdoor, uh, some outbuildings. And I noticed one of the pictures that Dave McGurian took had a little kid eating Argo starch, you know, which is a common thing. People that were uh, malnourished would sure. eat in the South. They'd eat dirt or eat starch and stuff like that. And they were eating starch. And uh, uh, so it was kind of interesting. But Gus Cannon lived in a nice little house in Memphis. Many lived in a nice house. That's good. Out in another part of town. And uh, she was pretty much bedridden. I think she could understand us okay. I don't remember whether she could talk or not, but she communicated with us some way or another. Maybe she wrote things down. I'm not sure. She must have written because she autographed her photographs. Right. And um, who else? We recorded a few other groups, a guy named Johnny Moses. We went out to the WDIA, one of the first black radio stations that broadcast mostly for blacks in Memphis. And uh, we met uh, Nat D. Williams, who was the big star disc jockey in those days. And uh, we recorded a group at his amateur hour, the Crowns, a little jump blues group. And we recorded some other people in Memphis, a guy, Johnny Moses, a female blues singer called Maud 
Rainey, not Ma Rainey, but Maud Rainey. Hmm. And uh, at the time, we didn't like them very much because they were too popsy for our tastes, which were really phony tastes. <laughs> and in listening to the old tapes, when I digitized them for the Library of Congress, all this stuff you've listened to so far is all in the Library of Congress now. Hmm. And uh, uh, we mostly liked the Memphis Chuck Band and Gus Cannon. I thought Gus Cannon was a million years old. Now that I'm a million years old, he was probably rather young at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I uh, thought he was really old. I, I had some video footage of him playing in the 80s on Beale Street. Amazing. And the, he said he was 100. Or, Could be. Or, yeah. Yeah, because he might have been in his 80s in 1960. You're still playing Walk Right In. It still yeah. sounded good. Yeah. Yeah. So there must be other... I think Sam Charters recorded him a little bit before we did. Yeah, there's another film of him playing in his house where he also is talking about playing the medicine shows and he's kind of describing... Oh, how, that's great because yeah. I never interviewed him on that. Yeah, he, it's it's short, but he talks about how he said his job was to get the crowd going and he shows how he went out there. In fact, I can link that video... Because um, I'm pretty sure that it's on YouTube. Great. I can put it yeah. on this blog so people yeah. can see it. And you great. really get to see him. He, you can just tell what kind of performer he was. Yeah. He says, you know, you got to yeah. get the crowd going. They were fantastic. He and yeah. Laura Dukes and uh, Will Shade were really good at uh, yeah, I really love Laura Dukes, too. Great yeah, vocalist. She's great. Yeah. Just pounding out that uh, yeah. banjo uke. And she was still alive, I think, in the 90s. She really? was younger than the others. Wow. Yeah. Huh. What was I listening to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have been tracking her down and. Uh, I think I think about that stuff even from my generation. What I could have been listening to and doing, but yeah. The main person we recorded was <coughs> Wade Waltz, who's a barber from uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi. Yeah. And we were the first people to record him. Uh, he had played earlier in his life with Ike Turner, and uh, he followed Tony Hollis or Tony Holland, a blues singer from near Parchment Farm. He took us around the Delta. We went to par went by went to Parchment. Actually, we got kicked out of Parchment Farm. Probably the only people kicked out of Parchment <laughs> Farm. And, and you got kicked out. Because you were white because people we were going in there? white recording music. They didn't want us. Lomax had gotten in there several times, both he and his father. John had been there once, I think. Alan had been there twice. Bill Ferris recorded there after we were there about five years later. I think he's the last one. Ferris was the last one, told me he was the last one. He thought to record prison songs there, hmm. which they don't do that stuff anymore, I guess. Probably do rap now. Yeah. But... Uh, they were still light and track, and you could still see people in stripes. And uh, the regular prisoners had horizontal stripes, and what Wade Walton called straight down stripes, vertical stripes, were the trustees. Mm -hmm. And this one bad man, he talked a lot about a guy named uh, Kenny Wagner, who there's several songs, mostly country songs, sure. about him. He was a white murderer that was in parchment. And he escaped a couple of times. And Wade says he knew him personally. He died wow. just before we got there the first time, in 58, I think, wow. or late 57. And uh, I've got his a biography of him by a folklorist from Mississippi. And a really interesting character is Kenny Wagner. They made some country songs about him, a couple of them. Maybe Vernon Dowhart recorded one. and. Somebody else recorded it, a different one. Yeah. And then he was in and out of prison for most of his life after that. Originally from Tennessee, I think. Hmm. And uh, Wade also told us in a tape that's missing on how to make corn liquor. And he told us a lot of little stories about animals you catch and stuff like that. All that stuff's in the Library of Congress. Hmm. And... Um, Wade's Barbershop was already and later became a center place for people going through, excuse me, Clarksdale. 
You mean like just musicians or just people in musicians general? Musicians or people in general. It was like a hangout spot? A hangout spot for everybody, except Wade was a born-again Christian, sort of. Huh. <laughs> off, not again, off again. That was pretty common, So right, depending it? on his wife, at the time he wouldn't, he'd complain about playing blues a lot. Oh. And I think... Common um, problem with those early yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jim O'Neill recorded him some. Um, There's a few documentaries that have him Yeah, too. Bill Ferris recorded him some. And he played Razor Strop. He played it. We recorded him first, and then Paul Oliver recorded him playing Razor Strop. Yeah. And um, he's great at that. And then uh, we recorded him twice once just the Strop, and then once with the jukebox, which he had in his barbershop hmm. um, with Bill Black's combo. And uh, one time I went down there with a couple of other guys from school, uh, Bill McCullough and. Get the Davidson, Mike Davidson. Davidson's stepfather was William O. Douglas, the Supreme Court Justice. His mother had had a, I guess, a second marriage to uh, Douglas, and her father was a sheriff in uh, the Delta in Arkansas side. And we stayed at his house, and he was a member of the White Citizens Council and the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> Uh, not the, I'm sorry, the white, not the Ku Klux Klan, the White Citizens Council and the John Birch Society. And uh, his mother was a founding member of the NAACP, a white woman. Oh. And he was a white sheriff in this town. I forget the name of the town. We stayed there one night. He told us not to go to Clarksdale and not to look up Wade Walton. But, of course, we did that anyway. Man, I don't know how much he knew what his wife was doing with uh, the black community, but it's very interesting that this sheriff, he was uh, also a planter. And uh, he had one of the largest plantations in the northern part of the delta on the on the Arkansas side. Huh. Uh, really interesting. So we went from that world into the world in Mississippi. Oh, sounds like and we drastic were, changes. Um, kids from... California, upper middle class. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know anything about Didn't understand the politics of those areas. I've just recently been understanding all that stuff. You visited Dockery at one time, too. Dockery Plantation? Yeah, yeah I've been all over the Delta. Yeah. yeah. Then you talked to, who did you talk to at Dockery? I talked to Mrs. Dockery. Yeah. And that was the sons of the guy that founded it, the man, the Dockery, who had... Charlie Patton and those guys. Sure. She's never heard of any of them. Right, right. She said she knew them by the time we, I talked to her, she'd, she knew who they were. Right. But she never knew them at the time they were on the plantation. And, uh, which is kind of interesting. And, uh, but she seemed like a nice, nice enough lady. And, uh, because most of those blues people by that time that was in the 1990s last time i was in mississippi by that time so many scholars and just other ne'er-do-wells like us had been through and they'd go and just take pictures and tramp all over the plantation but i always like to get permission you know so we went up to her house and she was just leaving and talked to her briefly and Asked her a few questions, and she let us go and get take all the pictures we wanted. That's nice. I was with uh, Robin Huff, a blues collector, who's died young. He died of a brain tumor, cancerous brain tumor. Um, he had rheumatoid arthritis, and uh, his father was a white preacher from Grinville, Mississippi, I think. And uh, he was a wonderful guy. Uh, he and I were part of Bill Ferris's last blues seminar in Oxford, Mississippi. And uh, so we visited Dockery then. We took a lot of photographs. I have his photograph. His girlfriend gave me his photographs when he died. I wish I had gotten his 
tapes too because he did a lot of videotaping. Mm. We went to Junior Kimbrough's juke joint and they were all integrated. I thought that was like weird compared <laughs> to what I remember in Mississippi. Right, sure. Like, but uh, uh, I tape recorded a lot and I tape recorded a blues festival in in uh, Memphis. And, um, Who was playing that? Oh, geez, um, some rockabilly guy, uh, uh, Otha Turner, mm. uh, Fife and Drum. We went and interviewed him too out at his house, and uh, uh, Bubba, somebody, Bubba Miller, Bubba. It sounds he, familiar. He yeah, Bubba Miller recorded for. Um, he recorded for uh, Jim O'Neill, I think, mm -hmm. and uh, um, some white fiddle players from Mississippi. I recorded them. I've got all the tapes on cassette here. Oh wow! And uh, just going around. Did you ever set out like just like? I mean, it seems a little bit like with the Will Shade Gus Cannon thing because David passed through there, and so he kind of had so you knew. But yeah. other times was it just that you're passing through. You heard about so and so, and then you're just like, "All right, I'm gonna go and." Most of the time, we just people. went to see Wade Walton. Dave and I went separately a lot. I visited Wade about four or five times, yeah. maybe six times before he died, if you include the 1990 trip. And after we got kicked out in 1960, the next time I went by, I. Uh, that wasn't 60, that was 61. We were also kicked out in 58. I forget why. I think that's because 58 is when we went to Parchment and they kicked us out. 61 is when they kicked us out when we were in jail. Yeah. And um, I went in between then with Davidson and McCullough. And um, it was rough. We went through, I went to Fisk mostly black school in Nashville in the segregation era and the Jim Crow era. And uh, we drove along 66 part of the way on the way home from Nashville, but we couldn't stop anywhere. Uh, there was this Green Book thing that blacks had where you could legally uh, get a night's rest, stay in somebody's house, something like that, but I wasn't aware of that. And there were three of us were white and one of us was black. And we couldn't eat in places. We tried to eat in Memphis at a drive-in restaurant, but the cops ran us out of there. And uh, then in Arkansas, we stopped at, no, the next time we stopped, we were in Oklahoma. Hmm. And in Oklahoma, uh, the sign on the restaurant said, no colored, no Indians, something like that. And uh, we were colored, so to speak, and uh, we weren't Indian, but I went in and got sandwiches, and we ate them on the run. And then we stopped finally in a restaurant in California out in the desert, some desert town. I forget where 66 goes, whether it goes through Needles or not. Might have been Needles. And uh, um, that place, they let us eat there, but I remember they distinctly were very slow in serving us, and they, the people were all staring at us. Yeah. Yeah, and then that was the last time we ate. We didn't eat in any place after that. When, when was it that you uh, went to uh, Chicago? Chicago went twice, once in 58 and once in 60. Now, were you, uh, you I stayed working at for Delmark? House. You stayed yeah, with Bob Kester? I stayed Kester. with Bob Kester on the near north side. And, yeah. And during that time, did you come across like the people who were on Del Mar at all, like Sleepy John Estes or Joe Williams or any of those? Yeah, Joe Williams. Dave had Joe Williams under contract. Uh, Joe Williams was under contract with about four or five people probably at the same time. <laughs> right. And Dave recorded a World Pacific record with Joe Williams and some other people. I have it. Copy. I was going to bring it out, but it's not really a good, very good record. Yeah. It's got Joe Williams, I think, and... Maybe Lightning Hopkins, and I forget who the third guitarist is. But, but now this was the time when you recorded 
you know, one of my favorite bands of all time, the James Campbell String Band. Yeah, that's when I was in Nashville. Well, that was in Nashville. Yeah, I course, also right. recorded them uh, on the street in Nashville. That's the one. And when that, was this? This was this was when I was at Fisk in 1960. Oh, that was 60. Yeah. And uh, uh, I first recorded them on the street. I think I was outside the Hermitage Hotel, which was a very ritzy white hotel in downtown Nashville. All the hotels then were either white or colored. Right. Colored was the word. Right. It's not an official word now. Except if you're in South Africa, <laughs> but it, no. Uh, that string band was great. The trumpet player was a guy that had played with uh, bands in uh, circuses, oh, really? Barnum and Bailey circuses. I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah. They show up. His name shows up a couple of times. Excuse me, in Abbott and. Uh, in the and, discography. Uh, to, well, their books, uh, Lynn Abbott and um, oh. and Sir Doug Siroff's, oh, one of his books, and uh, they he traveled all over the South, <laughs> and James Campbell, and then the bass player refused to play, and he argued with me most of the time. You can hear him him talking in the background while I'm recording a lot. And why was that? Because he said I was ripping him off. Like all the companies that he recorded for, he claimed.
Blind Willie McTell story about when he finally um, did some of his last recordings. Like he did, was like reluctant when he was being asked if yeah. he be recorded. Yeah, you know? there's yeah. a lot. I mean, that was I think common. And I mean, there's even a famous uh, Doc Boggs interview from the '60s where he said that you know Brunswick asked him to come back and record, but he said he didn't think they were paying him enough. You know, it's kind yeah. of tragic when you think about but it. But the fact is, a lot of those people were paid. As it turns out. After reading this Ralph Peer book, which is excellent, yeah, um, that uh, they were paid f for the sessions. They weren't paid any royalties. It was the common practice for both white and black. And a lot of the musicians were, of course, ripped off, but a lot of them weren't. They didn't have any protection like the yeah, no, of composers course. did. The composers no. created this whole thing about yeah, composing, publishing. publishing. It's all... I mean, I think of it as a scam. It is a scam. But yeah. it, but at the time, it kept those people from becoming poor like the musicians did. Right. No, it was good and, for them in a sense, but it was yeah. a shame that the musicians it, weren't protected somehow. Yeah, well. but uh, the songwriters were protected, but their descendants going on for 100 years should not be protected, I right, think. Right. No, 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 yeah. I agree. But, but let me ask you, I mean, you couldn't, I mean, I know like these recordings that you did, for instance, came out on bootleg. You, you I mean, yeah. you didn't issue them. No, no. But at the same time, like, I mean, nobody could have been selling tons of these records. No, like. I don't think they sold hardly any. And I think Johnny Parth probably pulled it after I threatened to sue him right. for bootlegging it. And he gave me a hundred 
of his uh, document CDs as a fee in lieu of me suing him. Right. And he claims I recorded them, but that's not exactly true. Dave Mingurian and I recorded them. Right. And Dave made the setup for the whole thing anyway. Well, I just, I, I know I was like, when I met people like Don Kent and Richard Nevins, you know, because I had, of course, early records I found were mm -hmm. Mamlish and Country Turtle and, of course, Yazoo and, you know, mm -hmm. all that county. But I remember I was shocked at how little these guys actually sold, you know, how Don told me with his LPs, which I thought were fantastic, yeah. that... Yeah, well, you know, I made a thousand of each one, and you know, I still got a bunch. You know, if you know yeah. anybody who wants them, you yeah. know, and I was yeah. my mind was blown. I mean, yeah. Yeah. he made these in the early seventies. Yeah, and they're amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mind blowing. Yeah. It changed my life. It changed you know? the life of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Including me later on in life, after I became an academic, I, I had to in my mind, through my whole life, I figured I at a crossroads I could either become an academic or I could become a kind of a blues entrepreneur yeah. and um, I decided to become the academic which is good because then I had to go in the army I would have had to leave the country probably if I'd gone into blues because I wasn't a very good student as a college student and I would have been drafted and uh, so I avoided that by becoming a Korean linguist mm. and recorded Korean Turkish music of the Turkish compound in Korea and Turks playing Korean music is kind of cool. Yeah, that's not And GI <laughs> singing GI complain songs. Huh. And uh, and then a Korean dance band I recorded that. Really? Wow. All that stuff in Korea. Was it like with western my, style dance band or? It was everything. It was like country and western huh. and rhythm and blues combined in one band. So in fact, I met a guy at a record show at the at the uh, Wayne show in uh, Wayne, New Jersey, that Mike DeVecca runs. And I uh, met this guy, should have taken his name down, but he said he would come up and visit me, but he never did. He said he was going back to Korea for a couple of weeks, and he was a Korean-American. And he said he knew the guy that I recorded. He knew who he was, he was still alive, and he'd become quite famous because he'd gone to a lot of GI establishments and uh, bases and record and not recorded but played, but I don't think a lot of people recorded him. I was the only one interested in that, and I bought a a Y. Is that how you pronounce it? A W A I Japanese recorder at the PX a stereo, and I recorded all the all my stuff in Korea. I recorded in stereo, and I sold that to huge, very good quality reel-to-reel uh, -reel tape recorder for the same price I bought it for, <laughs> which I think was $200 to some guy that was going to Tunisia to record. <laughs> and then I converted to digital after that. And I had a wallet sack when I was in... Actually, I didn't convert to digital. After I sold it, I converted. But I had a wall and sack in the meantime, too. I recorded a lot in the Caribbean, too, much more than I did in the States. And I recorded in in West Africa and Ghana and in Canada and Mexico. Wow. Yeah. I think uh, I've got maybe a hundred and more than 120 hours of field recordings. Wow, incredible. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to hear some of this, uh, the record I think you have on the turntable. Okay, is, uh, yeah, this is the one with, uh, uh, with, uh, who is it with? Daddy Stovepipe. Daddy Stovepipe. King, King David. David. Yeah. yeah. Here's some Daddy Stovepipe. I love Stovepipe. His guitar is just, it's not really tuned. It's like random. Yeah. And but it, I love that. And you, and you recorded this when he was playing on Maxwell Street? He was playing, not at the time I recorded him, he wasn't on Maxwell. We went to a room nearby that he had rented somehow. This is his favorite song, South on the Border, he calls it. Yeah, another one of my favorite of all time. 
Ready to play the 44 Blues right now? Me. This is still David, the king boy. Me, right now.
border on Mexico way. Down where I fell in love with you, mama, we all run out to play. I was glad I met her on a Mexico way. Down on the border on Mexico way. Yeah, 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 I can't imagine uh, walking down Maxwell Street and hearing Daddy still play. It's amazing. One of those guys play. Well, we got ripped off while we were there. We parked in front of the police station, and what's his name? Robert Palmer, the blues writer for that died of a drug overdose, I believe. Um, he used to write for the Times, New York Times, and he wrote a book about the blues. Well, here's our Wade Walden album. Oh, yeah, we should go through that. We're talking a lot about that. That's the Prestige, right? Obviously, from the Yeah. Film. Well, he did a version of uh, Parchment Pharma that he wrote about the time we got. Uh, uh, Down there? Yeah, we were at Parchment and we got all kicked out, me oh, and wow. Wade and Dave. Let's hear that. But I'm not going to. Oh, actually, it's not very good. I don't like it compared okay. to the one he recorded for me and Mike Davidson. Okay was the best one. I've got that on tape. I'll play Shake Em On Down. Okay. A big Delta song. I think he learned that from Tony. Pause. For my brother give me soft For my dinner give me Fish and bread For my supper lay me down Bring your legs Must I have a Baby must I Shake them on down Mmm Don't stop hollering Beaver Shake them on down There's no heaven, baby, there's no burning hell Where well, I'm going, put it, baby, when I die, can't no Body tell, must I holler? Baby, must I shake them on down? Mmm, don't stop hollering Levi, shake them on down. You don't seem to understand I can get me a woman quick and you Can a man must I holler Baby must I shake them on down 
dog howling Leave I shake them all down Mama, mama, look at sis Standing in the backyard trying to do the twist Must I holler? Baby, must I shake them on down? Mmm, don't stop hollering for the audience so long for a while we love that's you. all the songs for a while we love you we love your audience thanks for tuning in to john's old-time radio show Ooh, that was nice. please join us next time where john will chastise you call you stupid and say fuck off thank you and good night well, that's I'm, great. I'm great i'm gonna use that in every Fun. show every show is gonna end that's with that from now on